Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Artificial intelligence, or AI, is rapidly transforming the world we live in. Today, AI is being used in financial markets in various ways, including trading, risk management, and fraud detection. How is this innovative technology being applied elsewhere, and is it an investable theme? And why is our next guest keeping a close eye on its latest developments? Portfolio manager Mark Schmel joins us today to share his perspective on this and more, including global markets and the trends influencing his fund positioning. Mark was recently featured in a Morningstar article, highlighting how his keen intuition and unwavering momentum have been the driving forces behind his ability to generate long-term positive returns. Mark speaks with Glenn Davidson, VP Regional Sales Ontario, and shares he is reasonably confident the economy is going to come through the recent turmoil in a relatively quick time frame. And it's not going to be that painful, which is why we're seeing technology rally of late. Mark also notes that when the world economy slows down, the US dollar goes up, and he thinks that's something that we can expect again. Among other topics, Mark shares his thoughts on consumer discretionary, energy, and notes he's been cautiously optimistic and semi-offensive. He's looking for the rebound, not playing defensive. Today's podcast was recorded on April 4th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Mark, just to set the table a bit on funds, and for everybody joining us, You run Special Situations, of course, Canadian growth company and global innovators. Today, let's focus more on global innovators because we've got the widest scope for you and probably will generate the most dialogue. So we'll stick with that. Like many people, uh, Global Innovators was a fund I purchased when you launched it at the end of 2017. And I think it's safe to say that patience rewards long-term investors. Now, last year was a tough year for the markets, tough year for everybody. But active management really prevailed for you. And if you could talk a bit about 22, and then we'll move on into 23. So it's interesting. 22 was really tough for growth investors. I mean, you, there's a long list of you know, growth investors who just got annihilated right down 70, 80%. And it was you know tough for me too. Um, I was actually able to sort of sidestep some of the carnage, not all of it, obviously. Uh, the funds are still down quite significantly, but Relative to my my growth peers, I guess you could call it. Um, I feel like I did quite well. And, and the, the nice thing about my style is is I can move from thing to thing. So I moved a lot into energy last year. It really helped the portfolio. Um, it really offset some of the weakness and some of the you know really fast growing technology names that I sort of came into the year with. Um, so you know, in retrospect, I feel like I did an okay job, even though it sure doesn't look like it to anyone who owned it, including myself, who also owned it. Um, it was pretty tough. And uh, I'm hoping that we sort of front loaded a lot of pain in growth land that maybe we get to experience the other side of that at some point soon. Um, and maybe the rest of the market will sort of follow the train wreck that growth hit yeah, last year. 
So overall in 22, you saw a lot of changing themes and you were able to react to that very quickly. You've always had a very mm -hmm. good cell discipline. Actually, just remind everybody about your cell discipline. So what I always tell people is, is I like to, um, I sell late, but I sell quickly. So I like to let my winners run and let them continue to outperform. And the way to do that is to say, okay, so when this thing finally goes over the cliff, I will sell it after it goes over the cliff, which is crucial because if you sell too early, you miss a lot of the upside. The other thing that's crucial to that strategy though, is to sell aggressively. So once it finally goes over the cliff, you just got to cut bait. And so that's what I really did last year is a lot of the stuff that I really liked fell off a cliff in January and I sold it all aggressively and sort of pivoted the portfolio somewhere else. And so that that's how I sort of mitigate the real downside risk. You're always going to get some downside. I like to tell people that my my portfolios tend to perform with the index on the way down and tend to to sort of outperform the index on the way up. And, you know, over long periods of time, that leads to like a lot of outperformance. But, you know, you have to sort of live through the cycle to experience it. And anyone who purchased at the like the peak of the previous cycle is going, wait, I lost money. And well, of course you lost money. The market went down. Um, but that's sort of how the risk parameters work for me. And that's why we've got you on today to explain to everybody what's going on in your mind. And so now we get into 2023. And I read a headline yesterday yes. that said investors are seeking safety in tech and money market. I mean, it's a confusing yeah. market. How do you, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Because obviously January was a very strong start, especially for your style and what you'd positioned yourself mm -hmm. into, but tech and money market, what's that all about? It's a, it's a weird one. I think, I think that one of the ways we can explain it is that um, we sort of front loaded the pain in a lot of the technology companies. So when I read things like, you know, are we going into a recession or whatnot? It's, out here in San Francisco, we are in a recession. I mean, the buildings are on fire. People are jumping out. Everyone's getting fired. Housing's collapsing. Our banks are collapsing. I mean, tech is tech is in full on recession mode. Um, you know, I think Facebook's on its second round of cuts. Google's going to its second round. I mean, it's a train wreck out here. And so the nice thing about that as an equity investor is the stocks sort of already re have reflected that, right? So tech is in recession. We're, we're there. Um, the rest of the economy is not so much, right? Like, you know, industrials are fine. Energy's been really good. Consumer's okay. Like most of the rest of the economy is okay. And it's only now slowing down. And it's going to continue to slow down. And I think that one of the things the market has sniffed out is, you know, tech's, tech's already there. And so now tech is starting to look through to the other side, whereas most so on a relative basis, it feels as though technology could actually work well. I mean, it's not like you're going to make a fortune owning technology stocks here, but you probably will beat the market because we already we are in a recession. We're there already. Um, and then the, the 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 companies are already you know right sizing their companies. They're you know, cutting costs left, right, and center. So it could be the earnings have bottomed in technology, and you know where they just cut their way through this. So and the rest of the economy is not there yet. So I think it could be very interesting and, and, and you know, cash obviously always works in recessions and plus rates are so high right now. I mean, who doesn't want 5% on their money market? Um, so I, I sort of see why the market has moved in that direction. How have the job cuts that you just referenced uh, affected companies like Meta uh, and Netflix? I think a lot of companies, especially in technology, will find that because they hire too many people and they've got all these folks that don't do anything. and. And so if anything, it's, it's, it's 
bullish. And you see this every cycle. And I think that what's messed people up is we've had two really vicious cycles, like the financial crisis cycle and the very first tech wreck cycle, where, you know, the markets blew up, went down 50%. Uh, this is not that kind of recession. This is a this is more of a, like a 1980s, 1990s sort of recession where it's, you know, we come in, the economy slows down, you, you right-size your companies, you have all the best people left, you get more efficient, your margins improve, and then we start to go out the other side. And I think that's what you're going to see this time. Well, you're going to see a lot of these like big cap tech companies that margins are going to improve, even though you know, revenues are slowing down. And it's because they're getting more efficient. And I, I think that's something that a lot of, you know, the, the talking heads on TV, they're not talking about that. They're talking about, oh, my God, you know, we're going to slow down. They're going to look job losses. And it's a normal part of a functioning economy. And as long as we don't have like an existential crisis like we did last time, which, you know, banks going under and all that sort of stuff, I think we're going to be in good shape. And, and you know, we've had a little mini bank crisis. We probably are going to be your follow up question on that. Like what? You know, um, I don't think it's going to spread too far. The, the Federal Reserve's actions have been very aggressive. Um, you know, credit's in really good shape. The assets that are underwater are federal, you know, the treasuries. It's not like they're mortgages to somebody who can't pay. This is very different. This is not a financial crisis, I think, that spreads too far. So, yeah, I'm actually reasonably confident the economy is going to come through this in a relatively quick time frame, and it's not going to be that painful. Um, and I think that, you know, that's why you're seeing tech sort of rally. It's looking through. It's saying this year's going to suck. The first half of next year is going to suck. And then maybe 2024 is going to be good or relatively good. And away we go. So that's where I am. So just to clarify, as you said, the talking heads on TV, excluding today, are spinning our heads all around because mm -hmm. they're talking about recession and what that could mean. You mm -hmm. talked about a recession in San Francisco. You talked about a recession amongst We're there. tech companies. Do you, just to clarify, do you see that as a widespread recession or is it sector specific right now? It's currently sector specific, but it's going to spread, right? So the economy is going to slow down and Tech just hit it first because that's where most of the imbalances were in terms of a massive hiring. And the stocks also got really expensive because of where the Fed was. So tech hit it first and the rest of the economy is going to follow. And it's sort of one of those things that's first in, first out, right? So first stocks in, most of these tech stocks went down 70, 80%. First stocks out. So they're already starting to come out. It looks like they bought them in October and they're starting to, to discount better things. That's sort of the playbook in my head. And then on a financial services standpoint, again, I think what our advisors, investors are seeing, what we're all seeing is media that is talking very boldly about a financial crisis and it even compared sure. to 2008, 2009. And then, you know, but as, as you totally said, bogus. it's really, it's not systemic. It's quite specific. Credit Suisse, I think mm -hmm. you could point to a, a, a long array of scandals. Uh, SVB was yeah. just oversight issues. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. fairly contained. So nothing that you think is going to be something that's going to be widespread, maybe more of a, a calling, uh, an appropriate calling. Exactly. That is exactly the way to think about it. And, and you know, the current Federal Reserve um, policy of taking treasuries at face value, even if they're marked down, I mean, there's no liquidity problems. Like nobody's going to have a liquidity problem. So the next thing up is going to be the credit cycle, right? So every time you have a recession, there's a credit cycle. But underwriting standards have actually been really, really tight for most of the financial industry over the last little while. I don't think it's going to be horrendous. So honestly, I think this is going to be a relatively garden variety recession. Everyone's going to get hit. Everyone's revenues are going to come down. People are going to lose their jobs, but it's not going to be the same as 
07, 08, or 01, 02. It's just not. I mean, barring a black swan, you know, China invades Taiwan sort of thing, like who knows about that sort of stuff. But in general, and that's why I think the market has been, you know, parts of the market have been rallying. Other parts of the market are just not doing much at all, or they're slowly drifting lower. So it's sort of a relative game. And that's kind of how us long only people think, you know, what, what sectors do I want to be in on a relative basis? Well, so I, up, I like tech. Good. And let's pick up on what you said about some sectors are rallying and energy this week. That's been uh, mm-hmm. quite a, a bit of a shock to the marketplace. What are your thoughts on, on energy overall and, and oil specifically? I think energy, I've sort of, I'm kind of neutral in this space. I think energy had its biggest relative move in history last year. It was a great trade. Um, I think the fundamentals are fine. Like they're not great. They're not bad. Supply is well contained by OPEC. Demand is slowing down. It's like a, it's kind of mushy. The, the stocks are all sort of pricing mid cycle. Like it's, for me, it's, it's, you're, there's no money to be made in energy right now, right? You can buy energy. You're not going to lose money, but you're not going to make money. And if I'm right on the other side of the coin where tech starts to work, we got an AI narrative behind it. They're firing people and getting a, gaining efficiencies. I think the earnings upside in, in that part of the market are much higher than in energy right now. And the energy earnings are like, it's, it's boring. It's just boring. Um, and so for me, I don't think it's crucial. The only thing I watch in energy is if the price of oil gets out of control again, it goes bananas. Yeah, we got an inflation problem. Rates are going to go up. So I watch oil very carefully, but OPEC cutting is never bullish for oil. Like that's, that's not the scenario you want. Oil is a demand driven economy and you want OPEC expanding production because demand is so strong and that's what drives prices. When OPEC's cutting, it means demand's terrible. That's not bullish. That's just not bullish. So, um, I think, I think yesterday was an interesting short covering day for a lot of people who are short. I would not be chasing energy here at all. Very good. When you and I spoke briefly last week, you were about to go to an AI conference. I talked about it in the uh, opening to this session today. Uh, was it a waste yeah. of your time, Mark? <laughs> no, it was fantastic. It was um, one of the nice things about being in San Francisco. Sometimes these little organic conferences show up, and uh, one of my colleagues here stumbled upon it. She lived in Hayes Valley. She said they're doing a little AI conference in my neighborhood, and uh, let's go. And so, sure, we we went. And it it just turned into this huge thing. I mean, people were sitting on the floor. They were lined up at the door. It was like, what the hell is going on here? It was like on the second floor of some ratty old tenement in Hayes Valley. And I, a thousand people showed up. And everyone who was anyone in AI was there. The founders of all these companies, like the founder of OpenAI and the founder of well, everybody. Everybody was there. And um, it was just the most amazing experience. It was like, wow, this is what Silicon Valley looks like when it's alive, right? People were energized. They were talking about the things they could do and the problems they could solve. And and it was just, it was a really interesting experience. And it was so different than what I'm feeling and experiencing in my office every day when I watch like the market go straight down. And it was like, wow, this is, this is the, re- this is the real deal. And so I, you know, I don't know if any of the companies I saw necessarily are ones I want to invest in, but the, the w- speed at which this is moving and the way you can revolutionize so many different industries, um, it, it was really, really remarkable. And so it got me energized. And like, if you can, if you can find a kernel of something good going on, it's usually something you can build an investment thesis around. And it is also something that can drive the stocks in a sector. 
And I came in with that, lots of great new ideas, and uh, I'm putting them to work right now. And you had that thesis prior to the conference. It just reinforced mm-hmm. the direction you went because IT's gone way up from your position about a month ago. Uh, sorry, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I just, it, it helped me refine where I wanted to go. And it put some new portfolio ideas in that I had not owned in a long time. Um, it gave me some fresh thoughts. And that's what you're always looking for. Like you're always hunting for rocks. Like what's the best idea? And uh, came out of that with some really good new ideas and conviction in some old ideas. So it's interesting, like you and I had this discussion on AI like six or seven years ago. And it's like, it just disappeared, right? Like we all talked about AI and then it just went away. And then like, nobody's talked about it really for years. And it's taken you know this long before the applications caught up to where the hype was originally. And now of course we have a new hype cycle, but wow, powerful. Like it's just, these tools are powerful, man. That's exciting, but you're not excited about cloud computing these days. No, no not really. So th- there's two parts of cloud computing that you could think about. There's this the AI or GPU compute, um, which is going to grow like wildfire. And then there's traditional compute, like Intel CPU processing compute. And I think that gets rationalized. You know, as we continue to right-size companies and we lose staff and, you know, venture capital stops funding some, all these different software companies, Cloud computing is just going to slow down. And so I think that there are, you know, there's three big cloud vendors, Google, Amazon, Microsoft. I, I just think their results are going to slow down. And I think that a lot of analysts haven't figured out what that delta looks like. And I think there's still too much excitement about cloud in general. Um, so I'm cautious on cloud spending. I don't necessarily think it's the best place to be. Um, I am I am bullish on GPU compute cloud. There's, but you know, cloud is so big and GPU compute cloud is so small relative to the standard um, cloud vendor. So something to keep an eye on. So tough for companies like Google. I read this morning that Google is making the people, their, their staff within their cloud uh, division share desks and they're taking away their muffins on Monday mornings. So things are changing. Yes. And gold, what are your thoughts on gold in this environment? So it's interesting. Um, if I'm if I'm right, it's all about timing, right? So if I'm right and the economy slows down, then rate cycle is coming to its end. And the next thing to start thinking about is, well, when do rates go back down again? And I don't know when that is. But traditionally, that part of the cycle is really good for things like gold, Bitcoin, housing, the early cycle names. So it's probably too early to get really excited about all that stuff. But as soon as that rate cycle peaks, which is usually about three months before we really get the recession going, um, those stocks all start to work. And so gold is not necessarily the worst idea that you could have right now. I mean, again, you want to own good ones, have good balance sheets because recessions are bad for everything. But it's not the worst part of the market to be looking at. I don't know if this is a segue or not, but let's go to crypto based on what you just said. Is it still a solution to a problem people don't have? Do you think differently today? Well, it is a solution to a problem that nobody has. I think it is very interesting that um, given the turmoil and the bankruptcies and the going to jail of pretty much everyone in there, uh, Coinbase is being attacked by the SEC, Binance is being attacked by the CFTC, like all this noise, banking crisis, Bitcoin is up 70% year to date. So something's going on that maybe we should be paying attention to and maybe there is a is a solution to a problem we didn't know we had um 
that something is unusual is going on there. And uh, whenever you see a, a dislocation where two things aren't working in tandem, there's usually a reason that you just you need to figure out. So like, in my mind, I, I think that Bitcoin is behaving a little bit like gold in that it's anticipating an easing of financial conditions down the road. Um, but it's up a lot and it shouldn't be, which is very interesting to me. The U.S. dollar. Uh, do you care to comment? And I'll just mm -hmm. preface that by saying I was talking to Jeff Moore last week, and he said that in times of in tough times, there's always a repatriation to the almighty U.S. dollar. Um, some would argue that's not the case, but you feel the same in this environment. Yeah, I think it's really funny that uh, the narrative seems to be by emerging markets. I mean, that is the absolute worst thing to possibly do <laughs> if we're going into a recession. <laughs> Talk about ability to lose money so quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if like we're not in the recession yet, it's just starting to appear. And so the U.S. dollar generally strengthens, you know, during that period of time, um, all risk assets go down. And I think what we've talked about earlier is we have a slightly different bifurcated cycle where you have one part of the market that's already in recession, which is technology, um, and the rest of the market is slowly catching up. So it may look a little bit different. But, yeah, in general, you know, when the world economy slows down, the U.S. dollar goes up. And uh, I think that that's something that we could probably expect again. Um, as you know, it's always different. So who knows what happens this time? But as a rule of thumb, it's a it's a good rule of thumb. Mark, the fund that we're talking about, Global Innovators, has the word global in the name. So uh, outside mm -hmm. of the United States, where is a bias for you? Or is it just company specific and see how it makes up the it's, global? It's company specific. I don't think about global allocation. I'm not like saying now 5% of my funds are going to go to Brazil. I just don't care about that stuff. I want to own the best companies wherever they are in the world. For me... Having global in the name and having a global mandate is great because I can go out and buy the best companies in the world. So I'll have things like I have Hermes and I have LVMH and I have TSMC, but it has nothing to do with where they're domiciled. I just don't care. Um, it just gives me that flexibility to go wherever I need to go. So that you just mentioned consumer discretionary names. Can you give us a quick mm -hmm. thesis on that? Consumer discretionary can be tough. Um, rates are up. Like auto is dead meat. Um, I think you can look at housing as early cyclical, but discretionary itself, those companies are really going to struggle. There's, there's a lot of companies that have a lot of inventory. As things slow down, people are going to buy fewer shirts. Like consumer is usually ground zero for the destruction. Um, so it's a, it's a tough group in general. That said, it's cyclical. So, you know, on the other side, you want to pay attention to it. So yeah, it's, a, it's, it could be a really tough place to be. But you mentioned a few names that are for the affluent. From a consumer, Amaze as an example. They're not even real consumer discretionary names. You mentioned the word pandemic. I thought we were past that. And I hope we can say post-COVID <laughs> now. How uh, how are you yeah. finding company meetings are going post, let's use that, post-COVID. Makes me feel good to say that. How are company meetings yeah, going? Yeah, me too. Good, good. It's like, it's sort of back to the way it always was. You know, it's um, access is fine. Um, all the little hoops and things we had to jump through are fine. It's, it's yeah, it's back. To, it's back to normal, I would say. What's not back to normal are people in the office. So that has been a problem and continues to be a problem for everybody. And I think the recession might take care of that, right? Like if everyone starts losing their job and the boss says, you better be in the office or we're going to fire you, you're going to come to the office or you're going to look for a new job. And that's already happening. In fact, I've talked to a lot of companies. The first, the first place they go to is the pool of applicants that never show up at the office. It's like, 
who who gets let go? Oh, the people we don't know because they're never in the office. Gone. So uh, that's like sort of my thing is if you're not coming to the office, you better start coming to the office or you might not have a job. A very quick summary of the three funds. Let's start with special situations. And I just and I think by summary, we just what's the mandate and, and what's that mix that you're uh, restricted to? So all three funds are slightly different. Um, they're all growth portfolios. Special sits is the small, small mid cap fund um, closed now. So it uh, doesn't matter, but um, it tends to go with smaller end. Uh, it's a little bit. Is it riskier? I don't know, but smaller for sure. Um, growth company, I run it as a much more conservative version of the other two. It tends to own larger cap. It's 50-50 Canada, U.S. Um, that's the one fund you might see like a Canadian bank in. So in general, it's going to be a slightly lower risk version of the other two. And then obviously Global Innovators is the go anywhere, do anything portfolio where I have the most freedom. Upcoming, uh, I'm curious if you have any road trips with Will Danoff and uh, and other cohort from uh, Fidelity in the U.S. You typically have a few of those a year, generally in your backyard, actually. Anything coming up? So, yeah, they're, they're coming out in June. We're going to do another tech trip. I'm going to, to the Paris Air Show at the end of May. At the end of today, we're doing our corporate-wide um, stock picking contest, so that's always fun. You get to see what everyone's best idea or worst idea may be. So, no, there's always lots of interaction with the team. And, uh, yeah, so always, always ongoing. And I suppose we can't eavesdrop on that stock picking contest that you're having today. No, no, you can't. It's um, I have a costume already organized. So um, you get there's two prizes, one for the best costume presentation, and there's one for the person who actually has the best stock pick. So I always yeah. go for the entertainment because my stock picks almost never work. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, Mark, it seems that you're feeling very good about positioning or recovery, mm -hmm. but also you're the kind of person mm -hmm. who, if things change, you'll change very quickly and adapt mm -hmm. and move on. Any closing comments? So I would say I am constructively optimistic on where we're going. And I could be wrong if oil prices explode out of the gate. Um, but barring that, I, I feel pretty good about how the portfolio is set up. Um, and I am playing for a rebound. Not I'm not playing defense. So if you're looking for something that is like incredibly defensive, that is not me at the moment. Um, I'm in the cautiously optimistic sort of semi-offensive category. And not afraid to make changes. Not afraid to make changes. Mark, good luck at the uh, costume and stock picking contest later on. Thank you for joining us today. It's always, uh, your comments are always appreciated. And we also help appreciate you helping us filter out a lot of the media noise that we hear as well. Yeah, no problem. Nice to see you, Glenn. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash howtobuy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.